Everything we've done over the past six years has been in pursuit of one overarching goal, creating opportunity for all. Welcome to this week's edition of The Worth Report. What we've long understood, though, is that some communities have consistently had the odds stacked against them. That's true of rural communities with chronic poverty. It's true of some manufacturing communities that suffered after the plants they depended on closed their doors. It's true of some suburbs and inner cities where jobs can be hard to find and harder to get to. Each week, we bring you financial news that you can use to help you with your financial future. And that sense of unfairness and powerlessness has helped to fuel the kind of unrest that we've seen in places like Baltimore and Ferguson and New York. It has many causes, from a basic lack of opportunity to groups feeling unfairly targeted by police, which means there's no single solution. But there are many things that could make a difference and could help. And we have to do everything in our power to make this country's promise real for everyone willing to work for it. Now, here are your hosts, Nick Wharton and Glenn Wright. Good Sunday. If it's Sunday morning, it's The Worth Report. I'm your host, Nick Wharton, here with my good friend, Glenn Wright, founder and president of Worth Financial. Each week, we'll bring you news that you can immediately use to manage your financial planning and offer commentary on local, national, and global events that affect your ability to sustain your financial future. Glenn, a lot is going on today. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Nick. Doing great. I'll I, I tell you, it's, it's interesting. I guess what we're doing is so profound that they had to move us a Sunday. Yeah, how about you know? that? How about On God's that? Day. Listen, listen, it's a, it's a special, special day, guy. But but question for you, Nick. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we, we mentioned you and, and about to our listeners last week about your new role. Oh. Um, how's everything going? I mean, with, with such, uh, I mean, you're, you're the grand poobah now. Well, not not quite. I, <laughs> I am certainly the interim president and CEO of the Urban League of Central Carolinas, and it is a, um, you know, it's interesting. I always um, have felt that, you know, positions are not possessions, and mm-hmm. we all serve for a season. And so this is a season. And so we've got big plans. You know, we're, we've got a national search certainly going on. But um, we've got good things we're doing. We've got, um, you know, a, a deep brand promise of um, providing, you know, individuals with living wage jobs uh, and our placement rate, our ability to, to really get those who are underserved in this community uh, career-focused jobs is really a very special, special mission. And it's not really so-called me, but it's really the staff who work so hard uh, to make it, make it really work. And so I'm just excited for the opportunity, and I'm just looking forward to the season. That's all right. Thank you for acknowledging last week. In fact, I, I heard you guys, you, you, made, you made such a warm, warm statement about me. I felt, I felt really warm over that. <laughs> you know, that, that was nice of you guys. <laughs> no, no worries. <laughs> oh, my God. Listen to love. Listen to the love, man. Listen to the love. Well, you know, speaking of love, uh, this week was uh, an interesting um, display of not so much love. We, yeah. You guys got a chance to see the debates? Yeah, yeah, I did. It was, it was, it was pretty interesting. It oh, was man, pretty it interesting. was. It was. You know, I, all I can think about really is, you know, how uh, this contest is for the highest position in the free world, to be the yeah. leader of the free world. And I just had this sort of sinking feeling that uh, the tone and tenor of the conversation, uh, you know, uh, the, the sort of lead up to it, the backdrop of the videos that came out last week on uh, presidential hopeful Trump. And then of course the uh, panel of um, accusers of um, Bill Clinton's past, all of that stuff. It just sort of um, 
you know, robbed me of my kind of essential sort of energy level that I have for the importance of a presidential campaign. And uh, yeah. it was just uh, it's hard to hard to imagine. What, what, what was your reaction, Glenn? Um, you know, it's 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 tough. You know, I, I think um, apparently because of old scandals, it looks like Hillary maybe may win this thing by default. Um, but it's you know it's it's just very interesting. Um, it, it is, yeah. It yeah. It, 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 re- it really is. You know, I, I got to tell you that, um, and we were talking about this off camera, off uh, radio rather, that uh, many educators, you know, uh, have commented, commented on how, you know, what used to be a, you know, a traditional civics lesson lesson in a transfer of power in a democracy mm-hmm. has turned into something that, uh, quite frankly, educators cannot talk about in the classroom yeah. because, it, number one, we're such a divided a country. But then the tone and tenor and, and what, quite frankly, um, President Trump, hopeful Trump has talked about and the way he's talked about things and women and all this other stuff has made it such a, a difficult, difficult, difficult conversation to have uh, with young people. And it's so... Um, Man, it's, I don't know where this is going. I think that there is a, a light at the end of the tunnel, uh, depending on who wins. In fact, I, you know, I think it was stated the other night that uh, if he wins, he's going to try to get Hillary locked up. And yeah. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. Is this a, a, a banana republic? You can't yeah. order the attorney general. That's actually, quite frankly, that's an impeachable uh, offense to try to order the attorney general to lock up your um, opposition. That happens in Banana Republics. You don't even mention that. But let's not even go there. That, well, that was just so outrageous. Well, well, well I, I will say this. One of the big issues, I think the Clintons get a pass. Mm. And um, you know, I, I was speaking with someone who, who brought this to my attention. Mm-hmm. about Since you know today we're going to be talking about more about wealth inequality. Sure. And what leads to that and how to mm-hmm. avoid it. Right. Um, avoid going toward poverty and instead mm-hmm. of going the other way, that, which is what you want to do. Right. Um, one of the, the largest bills that really hurt the African-American community was the 1994 Violent Crimes Bill. Absolutely. Um, I agree that, with you. That was signed by Bill Clinton. That's right. So um, I remember all, that. Although, although you know, he's been known as the first black president and all. Which these, is a joke. Yeah. Well, right. you know, all of these things. There are right. many families who have been mm-hmm. destroyed. Yes. And poverty rates, which, which we'll talk about, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a few minutes, have gone mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Uh, a big part of that is yeah. because of this bill. Well, you know, you make a good point because, see, I, I actually happen to be lobbying um, for uh, workforce development and higher education during that very period mm-hmm. uh, when the crime bill was passed. And I can recall. Uh, a majority of the Congressional Black Caucus, some of the people who I admire greatly, um, helped Bill Clinton pass that bill because mm-hmm. it was, I mean, you, context is everything, right? Because mm-hmm. when we remember that bill, we were at the height of the crack war, the crack academic, uh, you know, epidemic. And the, the levels of the loss of life in urban communities was just, it was horrendous. It was, it was, un- it was unbelievable. And in fact, in some ways, the communities felt um, sort of they couldn't walk the streets. And so there was some support, quite frankly, on a part of many in the black community to support the crime bill because it just sort of made sense. They, and, and so they focused on, you know, crack uh, as opposed to cocaine. Now, of course, the crack, um, you well, know, product was focused on African Americans, a cheap yeah. product, and, they were, and it was associated with crime and murder and so forth. But, but so, so there's, a lot of, there's a lot of blame to go around on that. 
It really is. And I remember them high-fiving because, you know, the Republicans wanted to do even, an even worse bill. So Bill thought that he was outsmarting the Republicans by grabbing this bill and sort of, you know, and Republican uh, Congressional Black Caucus supported him. He had, you know, resounding support. And Kwesi and Fume, all these people who we love, have now come back and said we shouldn't have done that. You know, so, so they gave Bill the wind beneath his sails for that. So he wasn't yeah. out there alone. The black yeah. community supported that. Yeah. So it was definitely a twisted um, so some scenario. some some did not not all yeah. not not everybody in the black community yeah but, yeah but I'm, I'm with yeah him. but CBC was behind him I mean he had he yeah. had their support and I I I, I felt I felt a, another sinking feeling when it was passed I just felt like I can't believe they're doing this stuff you know so anyway yeah. but the, but the point you make is that uh, here we are talking about um, inequality mm-hmm. and we're talking about you know poverty and so. Here in Charlotte, Glenn, and you, as you know, we are 50 out of 50 major cities for moving poor people from the bottom rungs of economic society to working the middle class. Yeah, I know. And so as we look at the aftermath of what was an uh, incredible um, uprising, some might say, here in Charlotte, which some thought would never happen, quite frankly, many of us. Uh, some of us, in, obviously in the Urban League and other um, social sector organizations, have been talking about this uh, metastasized poverty in Charlotte and sort of, in a sense, not hoping, but, you know, just kind of waiting, actually, for the shoe to fall off. Yeah. And so it fell off. Here, here it is. Now we look a little bit like Baltimore. Yeah. And so unlike Baltimore... We've got a number of organizations and leaders that are sort of marshalling their resources and intellectual power and financial um, resources to figure out, you know, how can we turn uh, this situation around? And so, Glenn, how, does, how, how, do you, how do you look at this predicament that Charlotte finds itself in? Well, first, I mean, you have to look at education. We've had shows where we talk about education um, and the importance of it on literally the more educated you are, the longer you live, mm-hmm. the the healthier you tend to be. Mm-hmm. Um, education has given access to um, multiple communities um, to do many different things and, and to really move outside of their current situation. So as education has gone backwards, we've, we've also found that poverty levels have increased. So I think that's really the first piece. We look in that study that you're speaking of, Nick, and you see how um, African-Americans and Hispanics in the Charlotte-Mecklenburg area by percentage are far smaller numbers, have bachelor's degrees or higher than whites, Asians, and all residents combined. In fact, those two um, are lower than the average. So, I mean, you definitely start there. And we've talked about how the longer you go, out, the more money you make over time, the more access you have to more jobs and opportunities over time. And you just feel a different sense of confidence That's once right. you have a degree versus not having a degree. Yeah. So, you know, in my opinion, yeah. Nick, I think really education mm-hmm. is really the, the first piece mm-hmm. on where you start. And there are many who haven't graduated from high school. Yeah. Well, let me, let me throw this out to you. Yeah. Um, you know, last week, you know, I, I, my wife and I participated in a Coleman um, race mm-hmm. for uh, breast cancer. Breast cancer, yep. And, it, you know, we, we try to participate and, and we give, uh, we've had, you know, family members who've 
you know, who've, who've suffered and, um, with breast cancer and, and are still surviving, you know, praise God. Absolutely. And one of the things that my wife um, took note of as we were on our way to the race, it must have been like, you know, 8.30, 8, 8 o'clock in the morning. The race actually started like 7.45 by Marshall Park. And we saw close to 25 to 50 homeless people just sleeping along the street. We even saw families. And any, any given night, you can walk in certain neighborhoods, certain areas of Charlotte, and you can see poverty just simply coexisting. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it's sort of stunning. You know, it's sort of stunning. And I, I suspect for all the others who were out running that morning, which was thousands, um, who might have just first time been up that early in the morning uptown, mm-hmm. and you see folk. It's like, what is that about? With all this affluence and all this um, wealth and development going on, how could this be? You know, I've had conversations with um, executives and, and other people uh, who are of means in South Charlotte and different areas, and I tell them about this, um, this mobility study. And they're stunned. In fact, really? they can't even believe it because they don't see it. They don't, they mm. don't see poverty. Yeah. Right? You can yeah. go through this city and it's like a beautiful place. It's, sun is out like Groundhog Day. Right. There's no um, question, Nick. You know, growing up in Memphis, too, I mean, I've seen poverty. You can go from one side of the, of the city to the other side, and it's poverty everywhere you go. In Charlotte, you can go down certain streets right. and see nothing but beautiful homes the whole way, and you think, why, well, everybody's got money here. That's right. That's right. But, but in fact, this, the level of, po- uh, of poverty here in the face of such affluence is in some ways a, 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 a source of violence. I mean, to be poor in some way is a violent act, um, yeah. to not be able to, to care for yourself. And, you know, when you get the chance to, and of course, at the Urban League, we deal with individuals who are chronically employed, displaced workers, those impacted by, you know, job change. Um, and, and so they, they come our way, and you hear the stories. And the stories are just simply... They want the same things for their kids as you and I want for ours, right? right. In many cases, they may have, uh, obviously, a college education. Many do have some college. Uh, Many don't have a high school diploma, and we we, we work with them in in that regard, too. But the stories are just like anyone's, you know, and it's just, it's sort of heart-wrenching. But the reality is that, and I think we're coming to grips in Charlotte with this issue, but it it still defies um, reality. It's a, it, this is a public policy uh, emergency. And if we didn't know it, I think the recent unrest uptown sends a lot of alarming signs. Well, going back to that 1994 crimes bill mm-hmm. that I just mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, so many people are, are considered felons but, because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're a felon <laughs> mm-hmm. in pretty much every state, but with Vermont and maybe a couple other others, right. You can't vote. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, Martin Luther King said that, you know, riots are just the language of the unheard. Right. Well, that's a very good point. So um, so right. that was a big part of the yeah. issues in, that yeah. we saw in Charlotte, not just because of the mm-hmm. actual mm-hmm. Um, altercation. I mean, sure. that was a part of it, but that's just yeah. what the straw that mm-hmm. broke the camel's back because of so much mm-hmm. built up tension because of the lack of resources and so forth. You know, there's, a, you know, this we take for granted. Uh, many people are listening to us today on the internet. You know what happens if you don't have enough money for the internet? Right. You know how can you finish your mm-hmm. schoolwork? Mm-hmm. How can you um, even find out what's going on across the world? 
Um, so things that many of us take for granted are as a reality for many. And so right. that's that's another right. reason, because now you're cutting off extra resources. So now the opportunity for them to um, maybe do things that are unsavory, yeah. open yeah. Uh, and, and really just, mm-hmm. just puts a cap mm-hmm. on on opportunity. Well, essentially, because, you know, you know, as, as social scientists track the development of when this this um, income gap became, you know, most most drastic. You know, there's a point when I worked in higher education, we'd always in the 80s, we were always proud that more and more minority students were getting a chance to go to college. However, uh, Reagan's politics and policies directly defunded um, many college going grants, Mm -hmm. many after school programs, many educational um, support networks for communities. And he just gutted those programs. And it's widely understood I mean, because it was a trickle-down economy. The notion was cut taxes and, and of course, the rich will you know, pour money into communities. That didn't happen. It didn't, it didn't happen, really. And so those 80s were really, really a bad, bad time. The attack on affirmative action uh, happened. And I was, I was a champion uh, against those issues. I was going to, one of the reasons why I was going to Washington for 10, 15 years was really to ch- help change the mindset around why access and equity in higher education is important. And quite frankly, you know, I can remember uh, going to the Republican House for a conversation on, on higher education and, and public policy. And I remember the guy uh, from Arizona, Congressman, whose name escapes me. And I remember him saying, this just didn't affect minority kids. I remember him saying, now that we've, we're in charge of the House, this is 94, now that we're in charge of the House, we can now start taxing students because they have disposable income that we can now we we can now tax them, you know, and it was really the you know you know how the FAFSA works, mm. uh, and that was the idea. It, was, it affected not just minority kids; it affected all kids. Mm. And yeah. and in New York, you know, Governor Pataki then you made this whole contract with America period. Uh, it was just really a very dangerous time, and we have not really recovered really, you know, from that period. So we have got to somehow. Um, create a social support network for those who have been impacted. I mean, some of it has nothing to do with crime. Some of it is simply technology, uh, globalization. Uh, many of these uh, areas, manufacturing, are not coming back. Those black, white, you know, Midwest, those jobs aren't coming back. Mm. They are simply not coming back. Right. And, of course, we know NAFTA and we can, you know, those, those conversations are happening. Yeah. But uh, the bottom line is that those jobs aren't coming back. So people need to be retooled, re-educated, um, and retrained right? Right. to participate in this uh, new information-based service uh, economy. So here in Charlotte, for instance, and what, is, what is fascinating about Charlotte, and you mentioned it earlier, um, is a sort of concentration of poverty um, in, in specific uh, communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know that the racial income disparity is very pronounced. Medium household income for whites is dramatically higher than it is for blacks and Hispanics. The great bulk, over 70% of black households report incomes under $60,000, while almost six of 10 white families receive over the amount annually. And this chasm grows more and more with women of color and households headed by single mothers. And so this poverty really is three times as many, there are three times as many Charlotte blacks and Hispanics that live in poverty as whites. Let me say that again. Three times as many Charlotte blacks and Hispanics live in poverty as whites. And the numbers are even more crushing for kids 
5% of white children compared to 36% of black and 39% of Hispanic children are designated as poor by the federal government. Mm. And of course, and we, and we know the households headed by women of color fare even more uh, drastically. Yep. So what, I mean, what, how, do we, how do we even address this? Well, you know, we, we've talked about how um, education being important. Mm-hmm. But the second one is, is it's going to be debt levels. So that's true. You brought up um, the FAFSA form and student aid. You know, for certain people, and we've talked about this too. Then, junior may not need to go to a four-year institution to start. If he can go to school for free, to maybe right. a community college, that might be the way to go, and then ultimately mm-hmm. transfer mm-hmm. to a four-year institution, mm-hmm. undergraduate, to try to keep the debt down, and also to understand your credit. Credit is so powerful. So many people um, don't focus on that, but keeping your credit um, and to actually Mm -hmm. starting in college is actually a good thing to do that, to open up a credit card. If you have student loans, it's automatically on your credit. But to have some type of credit early is good Mm -hmm. as long as you're responsible. So teaching your kids how to be responsible about credit because it's so, so important. You know, so. Yeah. Financial literacy is really, really important, isn't it? But, but the debt piece mm-hmm. is what's killing us. Just mm-hmm. like as a country, right. our debt's growing, our deficits are continue to grow, uh, unfortunately, our trade deficits. So, you know, there lies the problem, and there's been a lot of that uh, banter in mm-hmm. the campaigns, right? So um, that's something that needs to be addressed, but also on a personal level. Mm-hmm. Looking at if you have credit card bills, what do you need to do? Because if you don't pay those off, right. then it's a snowball effect. That's right. So the first thing is to look and see. Make sure you have, see if you have good credit, then get a 0% credit card right. balance. A right. Balance transfer, transfer it over, pay it off. Typically, they're going to mm-hmm. be anywhere, anywhere between 15 and 50, let's see, 15 and 21 months right. at 0%. Okay. Pay them off over time. Hmm. And then if you don't have enough to pay them off, transfer it again to a different card. Right. Keep it at 0%. It helps your credit score. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's paying the interest out of pocket. So now, ultimately, you can find yep. a way to pay it off. Um, the other piece is going to be our, practical. Our, our, our 75-25 rule. Mm-hmm. 75% of your disposable income goes toward that debt. If mm-hmm. it's revolving credit card debt, 25%, even while you are in debt, goes toward savings. Right. I've had so many um, people that I've seen in the past work very hard. I've seen people pay off all the credit card debt, the car breaks down, or hot water uh, heater tanker mm-hmm. breaks down. That's what, right. what happens? They go right back in debt That's because right. they didn't save along the way. That's right. It takes a little bit longer. That's right. why you get the 0% card. Yep. So it then. Yeah, cost you any stuff. interest. You mentioned the 0% card. Yeah. That, that, that's, that's it. That's really, really good. I, I like what you said about all of this, really, but I like what you said about you know, making sound educational choices for those who are, are college going, right? Um, That's huge. Because so often, uh, particularly for those who are underrepresented and are unaware of college going, but yet they want to, you know, improve their lives, they may consider some of these online classes or some of these um, not so reputable uh, institutions mm-hmm. uh, where they go into debt. And I'm not even gonna mention Trump University. I'm saying there's a lot of them. Uh, you just did. I'm just saying there's a, there's a lot of them where people have gone into fifty and sixty thousand dollars of debt with nothing, and that's right. one. And there's there's like a lot of them. And what I find is that 
you know, the federal government has investigated a lot of these schools partly because of the debt that they uh, that that their customers, you know, um, deal with. And then you take that and you look at traditional colleges and universities, right, who, you know, claim to provide great liberal arts education. And I'm not, you know, you know, sweating them on that. But the point of the matter, though, is that they don't produce the outcomes they say they produce. And those young people leave with extraordinary debt. And you've met these students. These are students at traditional colleges. Right. That's right. right. And they're sitting there with twenty five, thirty thousand dollars in loan. And they're like a sophomore. Yeah, you know? they're just getting and, started. And what? Oh, how, how are they going to manage that? You know, and that's what I see. Tom, I used to see it, you know, years ago. And when I used to manage these scholarship programs, you know, we had, you know, uh, a debt limit, you know, um, on how much young people uh, loans they could take as an institution. And so we committed to providing full need packaging for these students because we knew that at, at the end of the day, we didn't want them leaving the institution with an exorbitant, exorbitant um, loans, which they'd have problems paying back, and that would throw them back into poverty because they would default on those loans, and then you had that cycle all over again. So we provided financial literacy, uh, so that became an important, important factor. So it's a larger you know, uh, dynamic that we have to sort of try to manage. The other thing is, let's say that you're already out of school, you, you have the debt, then what do you do? I don't care where you are. Right. You, you could have graduated from the top school. You feel like you've arrived. Mm-hmm. It's about, and you feel like you've, you, you're owed something. You're not owed anything. Uh, your job, you can have today. You may not have it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Right? The year, the, 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 the day and times of having a job where you can work 40 years and then retire, get your gold watch and the big pension, those days are over. That's so sure. it's important to live beneath your means. Yeah. Great book. Uh, it's been around a long time. The Millionaire mm-hmm. Next Door. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, making sure you live beneath What's your means. What's the high means? point of that book? I've heard that book. I, in fact, I have it. And I've, I've you know, seen, yeah. intro, I read it years ago. So to you, what's, what's the... Um, living beneath your means. Is that, is that the, 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 the basic jewel That's it. that you get from that book? Okay. That's it. That's it. Because I remember that. and um, Well, that was the big picture, right? That, I went to one of the seminars, actually, I recall. That's it. I mean, it's all about... What millionaires, it was actually a study of millionaires, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. they have, who they are, right. what type of cars they drive, right. like like a Ford Taurus, mm-hmm. even though they can have millions in the bank. I remember uh, early in my career, um, I had a, a farmer mm-hmm. is in Tennessee mm-hmm. in our Nashville office, and uh, he came in overalls. And I said, you know, he, he just referred to me, and I said, well, okay, what, is it, what does this guy have? You know, small, small farm, multi, multi-millionaire, saved every dime. Every crop, you know, mm-hmm. as it seemed like. So he was able to retire mm-hmm. um, and leverage his farm. There's mm-hmm. so many great opportunities because he saved his money. His kids went to school. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to pay. They didn't have any student loans. Right. They're both doctors. So that mm-hmm. really showed mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. wow, living yeah. beneath their means. And I was 22. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And at that time, you know... I was doing pretty well myself for sure. considering for a 22 year old. Right. Um, I just got my new Escalade. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Escalade. <laughs> and oh, uh, right. Yeah. It just came out. Well, that's so, like you living below your means. Yeah. Right. So, Escalade. Goodness so gracious. you know, and uh, so I said, you know, that was eye opener for me. And ever since then, ever since that point, Did you get of, rid of, Escalade? of meeting him. Uh, no, I didn't. Oh, okay. Go ahead. I'm sorry. The, the good thing about the Escalade, which, which I'm happy you brought up. Yeah. I actually, I, I actually leased it. 
Ah, um, okay, here we go. Four. So it was a business deduction. Nah, my man. Um, I leased okay. it. For, it was five hundred dollars a month because my dad works worked for GM, so I got the discount. Ah, so you had to hook up. I yeah. see. That's so, good stuff, man. However, um, but I made sure. Now I'm gonna tell you how bad it was. Um, You're killing me here. Yeah, man. my rent was four ninety five a month. Wow. My, my, and my so I paid five dollars more for my car than I did my rent. So Not that, bad. That kind of tells you. That's a good so, look, man. But but that taught me mm-hmm. of living beneath your means right. is so important. And I mm-hmm. thought I was because I was saving. Right. But that gave me right. a, 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 just a different clarity on it. So if you if so if you're listening to this show and you say mm-hmm. I can comfortably save five hundred dollars a month, then that means you probably need to be saving about fifteen hundred dollars a month. Wow! You know, it's you you need to be a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. There needs to be a little sacrifice in your budget in order or your or your spending plan right. in order to really accomplish mm-hmm. your goals. Mm-hmm. And it's a snowball effect that way. Sure it is. The positive compounding of interest mm-hmm. it's a powerful thing wow that, that's good stuff man boy i tell you this has been a this has been a robust conversation man we went all around the block man and yeah. came back home but we did this we did is, um, <laughs> this has been one of those one of those weeks though man it's been um we're just living in a in a different period right now you know and we are um, and so it is all going to be okay because uh, we know who's really in charge this is sunday morning yeah. absolutely See you next week, man. You know it, man. Blessings to you, my man. Same to you. All right. This has been The Worth Report with your host, Nick Wharton and Glenn Wright. To learn more about Worth Financial and to speak to one of their advisors, call 704-731-0121. That's 704-731-0121. Or log on to worthadvisors.com. That's worthadvisors.com.